The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Closing Bell. I'm Scott Wapner, live from Post 9 at the New York Stock Exchange. This make-or-break hour begins with breaking news. All eyes on the White House right now as the president meets with congressional leaders to try and hammer out a debt ceiling deal. Our Eamon Javers in D.C. with the very latest. Eamon. Scott, we know some of the congressional leaders are on their way to the White House right now for this 3 p.m. meeting. They have left the building, so to speak, over at the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue. We're going to wait to see uh, what they say, if anything, at their arrival and what happens in this uh, high-stakes meeting today at the White House. We have a new note out from Goldman Sachs in which they're saying that they expect that any headlines that come out of this meeting, because it's still relatively early before that X date of June 1st or thereabouts, uh, any headlines that come out of this meeting might be negative in the sense that they don't expect this to be the meeting where a deal gets done. Speaker McCarthy has had some very negative rhetoric uh, over the past 24 hours, suggesting that uh, he doesn't see enough progress being made here. So uh, we'll see if that is the case. We know that there are cameras and microphones just outside where they'll be meeting. And if they do want to talk, to the members of the press, uh, they will be able to do that. We have gotten another note from the White House just within the past hour or so, Scott. They've said that the president is now prepared to change his travel itinerary in Asia uh, over the next week or so uh, because he might have to be back here in Washington to negotiate on the debt ceiling. So they are signaling uh, that the president does expect to possibly be in the throes of some negotiations here in coming days. So we'll watch for that as well. All of that starting in just a couple minutes now here at the White House. All right. There is an undeniable sense of urgency. We know that. Eamon, right. thank you. We'll look for any details that do come out of that meeting. Eamon Javers in Washington, D.C. Let's take you to the scorecard here. Less than 60 minutes to go now in regulation back here on Wall Street. Stock's been down for most of the day. Home Depot, as you know by now, a drag on the Dow as its worst sales miss in 20 years is taking that stock sharply lower. Tech has been an outperformer today. You can see the Nasdaq is the only of the majors in the green today. For more on where the markets are heading from here, let's bring in Anastasia Amoroso of iCapital and Emily Rowland of John Hancock Investment Management. Ladies, it's great to have you. Uh, Anastasia, let me begin with you. The scene set at the White House with, with these meetings over the debt ceiling. Uh, how are you thinking about this issue impacting the markets with the deadline fast approaching? Well, the deadline is approaching, but it's really not fast in terms of policymakers' terms. Of course, Scott, you remember 2011 and how long it took to finally get a deal. And I have a very, you know, I have a very big suspicion that we're going to get to the same deadline, you know, to the very 11th hour of it. And so the markets need to be prepared for that and the volatility. And I do take Speaker McCarthy at his word when he says that we're far apart, because as you know, the Democrats Democrats want a clean raise in the debt ceiling, and that is not at all what the Republicans want. And look, you know, to be party neutral here, and if you look at the Congressional Budget Office, there in the projections, there's serious issues that need to be tackled. Budget deficits running at five to seven percent over the next few years, that puts us on the trajectory of 200 percent in terms of debt to GDP over, you know, the next uh, 20, 30 years. So these are serious issues, and you're not going to solve that in a single day's worth of meetings. Yeah. Emily, uh, how at risk do you think stocks are here? Yeah, I mean, stocks are barely yawning amidst this phenomenon that's going on right now where the possibility of the U.S. defaulting on its debt is no longer zero. 
Uh, and so we're looking at things like the VIX, which is below 20, high-yield bond spreads at 470 basis points, well below their 20-year average. The S&P 500 trading at 18 times forward earnings and the 10-year Treasury continuing to bounce off support between 330 and 340. So markets are really not right now, in our view, incorporating the risk of, of default. It will likely get resolved at the 11th hour, of course, but not without significant volatility. And I agree with Anastasia that 2011 is the best analog for today, given the political dynamics in D.C. And frankly, we saw uh, the 10-year Treasury yield drop about 200 basis points over the course of that summer, from about 370 to about 170. And I'm not saying this is the exact same playbook. There are other dynamics at play. We had the European uh, the, uh, sovereign debt crisis sort of unfolding overseas at that time and, and other elements here. But if that is the same playbook, we do think that we, you know, this is a good time to embrace bonds. It makes us like fixed income even more. Yeah. The other issue that the market Anastasia is dealing with is the Fed. And, you know, I'm not sure that the market fully believes anymore that the Fed is necessarily done. We've had Paul Tudor Jones this week suggest that the Fed's done. Others have. Uh, and it was largely believed that they are. Yields are up today. Two years near the highest it's been all month. Austin Goolsby today, Chicago Fed, not sure if we've put enough restraint on the economy yet. He said a you know, within the last hour or so. Well, you can't blame the market because look at the data that we got on retail sales today, and it is just fine, 0.4% month-over-month growth. And it really tells you that the consumer is just fine, the consumer is resilient, the consumer is spending selectively. So all of a sudden, this narrative for soft landing is really taking hold once again. And the banking turmoil that was front and center, you know, to Emily's point, you can't discern any volatility in the equity market. So, you know, I think that's why the, the markets are saying maybe the Fed still has to go 25 basis points. But I I do want to mention one thing, Scott, about where the markets may actually be positioning for this debt ceiling. If you look at the one-month volatility and if you look at the call volatility, it is continued to come down. But if you look at the put volatility, the 90% put, for example, for one month out, it has not come down nearly as much. So I think there is demand for put protection out there. I think investors are trying to hedge their bets one month out. You know, whether the Fed raises rates or not, I think is the debt ceiling hedge. Oh, we've been watching. The, the shortest of short parts of the, the yield curve, um, one month, three month, six month, of all over 5%. You know, one of those is at a, at a 20 year high. But, you know, the idea, Emily, that the Fed we thought was done, what if they're not? What's the risk in that? Yeah, we know that the Fed has shifted back to this data-dependent stance. And frankly, as of late, the data is coming a lot better than fear. That's our new mantra for the year. We're going to get some bumper stickers made, better than fear, whether it was the earnings uh, coming in this quarter, much better than the low bar. Some of the economic data, you know, you just look this morning, home builder sentiment, industrial production, retail sales, all coming in better than feared. So this does kind of open the door for the potential that the Fed does go one more time in June. It's not our base case. We're seeing financial conditions tighten. We're seeing loan growth slow. We're clearly seeing demand falling, as we heard from things like Home Depot this morning, kind of really this narrative around the, the consumer slowing and demand starting to slow, inflationary Pressures are clearly starting to subside, but we're not in a recession yet. In order to have us be confident that we're going there, you've got to see more cracks in the labor market. And the labor market's been incredibly resilient. Really hard to think about a recession happening when consumers are out there spending and doing so because they have jobs. 
Uh, so that's what we'll be looking for in order to kind of, you know, understand what the Fed's going to do next. Maybe mm-hmm. one more hike here in June. Probably not. I'll tell you the other thing that that's on my mind that I want to get your perspective on. So Home Depot cuts its forecast. Berkshire Hathaway sells RH, mm-hmm. Restoration Hardware. Made it clear recently they, for all intents and purposes, have no interest in, in investing in banks other than the one they already hold or the two that they already have. They're on a mountain of cash, right? They haven't seen anything apparently attractive enough to deploy some of the capital that, that, that they have. What's the message in that? The world's greatest investor right. is clearly cautious. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yes, we're reading into it, but I can say from all of those things, you sell RH, deals with high-end consumers, you for virtually want nothing to do with the banks, and you haven't found anything good to buy yet. Look, this is a very narrow leadership market. And, you know, we talked about retail sales. If you look within the details, the consumers are not buying furnishings and they're spending less on gas stations and gasoline. But guess what? They are still spending on online retail. And what they're not spending on gasoline, they're spending on food. But that's a very narrow part of the market, Scott. And so, you know, the message is you're getting paid 5% in cash. So why not park your money there? You're worried about the recession. So get paid while you wait. And I think, you know, what the market is telling you is there's no good catalyst for the upside right now. And there's no cost of missing out if you could get 5% cash. You know, we talk about the U.S. consumer. You know, we talk about, you know, that being strong. We talk about the Fed potentially ending its hiking cycle. But guess what? We all talk about it. And therefore, that's priced into the market. So I think, unfortunately, this, as Emily, you called it, the yawning market may continue here because we're in this dead man zone where we are below some of the long-term thresholds that would get investors back into the market, and we're above the short-term threshold, so there's not this immense selling pressure. So it feels a little boring, but that's why investors are sitting in cash. Well, you know what? You know where else they're sitting, Emily? And it's no secret that many of the biggest investors in the world are sitting in the most mega of mega cap names, the ones that are the most directly exposed to AI. We learned it again yesterday with the 13Fs as they continue to come out. That's where the smartest and biggest money seems to be placing its bets in an otherwise uncertain market. You call it defense. You call it good balance sheets. You call it on the cutting edge of AI, et cetera. But that that feels like a statement in and of itself. Yeah, absolutely. AI is going to be just such an important mega trend going forward from here. And most importantly, it's going to help increase productivity, which is something that's been lacking from this economy. Right now, we have too many people not doing enough stuff. And and so that needs to improve here. Um, So we think AI is important, you know, and of course, it's led to very narrow market leadership. In fact, there's been some data that have been produced over the last couple of days suggesting that markets would be down this year if it were not for some of this mega uh, cap leadership. We see it as quality. As you know, we've been talking about the importance of really emphasizing high quality stocks and portfolios, ones with tons of cash, great balance sheets, more durable profitability. So this makes a lot of sense to us that there's been a rotation into technology. And by the way, we're talking about big mega cap tech, not unprofitable growth at any price. Tech companies that are going to need to issue debt, need to issue equity in order to grow. Uh, we really think that that's a, a, a place you want to avoid right now, avoid more cyclical names, and again, focus on these high-quality winners that should be able to produce better earnings mm-hmm. as we mm-hmm. head through this choppy environment. Does, does narrow leadership, Anastasia, matter to you? Is it a great myth, or does it matter? 
Well, look, if you look at the evidence, it does tell you that any time the market breadth is this narrow, the next, you know, three months, the next one month worth of returns is typically negative, you know, and you can't expect something like a 10% correction. But I kind of have to go back to the fundamental reasons for why we have this narrow leadership. You know, the economy is not falling apart, but at the same time, so many parts of the market are not investable. You know, who, how many investors you talk to want to step into the banks? You know, how many investors want to be buying cyclical stocks? I think Some it's very that come few. On, on this network, more than some. I mean, plenty of people um, are into the cyclical trade. Well, They'll tell not. you that earnings growth over the next couple of years is going to be better in industrial stocks than it is tech. I had somebody make the case to me exactly that on halftime, just not three hours ago. I feel like I probably know who it is, but at the same time, you know, <laughs> investors are not focused on the next one or two years. Investors are focused on the next what to do in the next month or three months, and it's hard to call for a cyclical rebound in that. Now, if I were to say one bullish thing for cyclical trade, I will say start looking at earnings revisions. And Earnings revisions breath after, you know, just all the earnings revisions being cut down. Earnings revisions are actually starting to come back up. And if you look at the GDP growth, uh, per, you know, tracking for the second quarter, guess what? We're looking at two, two and a half percent once again. So um, but until we have the full evidence is going to go back to the tech trade. Yeah. And we'll see. Uh, Nasdaq, again, as we said, uh, not up a lot today, but it is in the green. Everything else is in the red. Ladies, thank you. Anastasia, it's good to see you here in person. Emily, we'll see you soon. Thank you very much. Thanks. Let's get a quick check on some top stocks we're watching now. As we head towards the close, Christina Partsinevelos is back with that for us today. Christina? Well, let's start with Etsy, one of the worst S&P 500 performers today after Morgan Stanley analysts suggesting that the online marketplace is hitting its limits after surging throughout the pandemic, meaning the company went from a growth stage to now a more mature marketplace, which obviously has negative implications for valuation in their view, and that's why shares are down over 5% at the moment and one of the worst performers. Meanwhile, shares of AMD are moving in the opposite direction after a 13F disclosed hedge fund third point took a new position in the chip maker. Keep in mind that the regulatory filing is backwards looking, but reveals that third point has a 1 million share stake in the chip maker. It's one of the top performers right now, and it's up 5%, Scott. All right. Good stuff, Christina. Thank you. Christina Partsinovalos, we will see you in just a bit. We are just getting started. And up next, we have top tech investors, Low Tony and Rick Heitzman. They are in the house here at the New York Stock Exchange. We're going to get their takes on the AI arms race as lawmakers hold that hearing on Capitol Hill. Does bring us to our Twitter question of the day. Are you thinking about increasing your exposure to AI stocks? Yes or no? Head at CNBC Closing Bell on Twitter. Please vote. The results are coming up a little later on in the hour. We are live from the New York Stock Exchange. You're watching Closing Bell on CNBC. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.
Got some tape here from the meeting inside the White House on the debt ceiling. Let's watch. to make we're just getting started and we'll be available uh, at the sticks uh, when this is over If you could decipher any of those shouted questions, you are better than me. But that's a live look, or not a live look, it's a look inside the Oval. Uh, as the president and the vice president, of course, and congressional leaders are meeting as we speak on the debt ceiling. Markets obviously nervous about the deadline that's fast approaching, said to be the earliest part of June. The Dow's been down all day. It's still down about 250 points. We do want to turn our attention, though, to another event down in Washington today. That was the hearing on Capitol Hill where OpenAI CEO Sam Altman was testifying, calling on lawmakers to create more regulations and safety standards around AI. With me now is Lo Tony of Plexo Capital and Rick Heitzman of FirstMark Capital. Lo is a CNBC contributor. It's great to have you guys. Uh, so we just take a look at the events that are taking place in, in D.C., and we may have to break back and give you some of those details as they come out. So I beg your pardon or, uh, for that. Um, AI, did you see any of Altman uh, today? Saw some of the recordings. What do you think that regulations are going to look like around AI if, in fact, we get them and whenever that might be? I don't think that anyone wants to repeat the mistakes made with social media. So I think they're going to take this seriously, although I would say we probably are behind the curve again, given how fast the technology is moving. I hope they approach this not trying to use a blanket, but really thinking about, like a product manager, think about some specific use cases. Although you can't capture everything, there's always going to be some edge and corner cases. How long do you think it's going to take before we actually get something substantive? Boy, I'm going to suspect we'll see something hopefully before the election. Right. Because I think that's the big concern right now is when we look at what happened with social media and the mm. distribution. Now we can have distribution at scale with content that can be created uh, with AI. I mean, Altman was even talking about that today. You know, one of his greatest concerns in a what appears to be a sea of concerns is action around the election and how quickly we need to have any kind of regulation come into play. What do you think? 
I think we definitely need to have something, hopefully something this calendar year, because you're already seeing models come out, you're already seeing data leaking, and you're already seeing applications out there which can do deep fakes, which could do a bunch of things, which could not only alter the election, but really affect the economy. Is it too late? And parts of Lowe's point, trains kind of left the station on this and now we're chasing it and trying to catch up. Which you know often happens in government. But you know what you really want to do is figure out what are the use cases you could really lock down as soon as possible. I think deep fakes, I think verification, especially by the big platforms who want to know are you know is this really Scott saying this is what's going on in the economy? Is this really low commenting on technology? And there's ways to watermark it and there's ways to create some kind of veracity in what's what's happening in artificially created both uh, audio and video. Do you do you think that the lawmakers who are going to be drawing up these regulations fully understand the power of, of what they're even drawing up regulations about? No. We know that historically. We always have the people in place in the government that never really are able to comprehend and understand what the technologists are doing. So I think this time it's really important to have the partnership and we actually see people like Sam Altman coming in and having an open conversation and talking and I think we've seen a lot of outreach. I think Senator Blumenthal might have spoken to, you know, a hundred people from tech. Mm -hmm. We also see that technologists understand the importance of regulation and being on the front end. So I, those are all positive signs. But no, to your point, um, the lawmakers never fully comprehended. If they comprehended it, they probably would be in Silicon Valley well, making think, a billion dollar company. I mean, frankly, Rick, in fairness, I don't know if any of us fully understand what the power of this technology has the capability of doing. No, we've, we spend a lot of time, especially over the last several years. We, we've been investing in AI for over the last decade. And we're still looking at use cases, figuring out not only what the economic implications are, but the ethical implications, and being really focused on how could this be used poorly or how could this be used by, by someone who's a bad actor. And we bring that up with our companies all the time. And oftentimes, the companies don't even understand as they open the Pandora's box. I hear a lot of talk about AI being this tremendously big bubble that's, that's being inflated. Just put AI next to your name and, you know, someone's going to buy your stock or you're going to be able to go public at a you know, crazy valuation. What do, you, what do you make of that kind of talk? Is there validity to that? Or you must be approached all the time from young companies to invest in our product because we have AI. It almost feels like people took their PowerPoint presentations, did a search and replace for crypto with AI. Right? It almost feels like that sometimes that people are trying to incorporate AI into their pitch, even if it's not a pure play AI company. But I do think it's important that we separate, right, looking at this from a speculative nature of investing and trying to chase the stocks that are publicly available mm -hmm. that are going to see a run versus what's really happening with the technology and the advancements that we're seeing and some of the potential pitfalls. How do you address the idea of a bubble? And I'm not sure if we have it back at, at our headquarters or not. This graphic that we made up to show the difference of valuations, PE, there it is. Thank you guys very much. Um, sort of hot tech then and now. Yes. Look at what the forward PEs were for the so-called hottest stocks in the market back then. The Qualcomm's, the Yahoo's, the Cisco's, astronomically high valuations versus the players mm -hmm. today. Is NVIDIA extended? That's for you to say, not me. But nothing even close to what they were back in 2000 at the peak of the tech bubble? Well, these are also the biggest companies, right? I mean, Cisco was early in their journey. Yahoo was early in their journey in terms of growth. Obviously, Yahoo petered out. 
But you know, it's the next companies is where you're going to see those high multiples, and whether we see them on the private side or whether you're going to see them in IPOs in 2024, those are the companies which are going to go out at head scratching multiples. Some of which will be real, some of which won't. Are we rhyming with in any way with with the hype around AI and what we did in in 1999 as we approached the Januaries and into the real peak of the bubble? Uh, you know, I think there a little bit of is what Rick said, right? When we look historically, AI's been around for a decade. Most of the benefits from that first wave on the public side accrued to the large companies that could incorporate it into existing technologies. Google, search ads, uh, Facebook, um, recommendations to the algorithm and the news feed, and even Netflix on general recommendations around movies. I think what we have this time is we will see the large tech, because of their massive scale and existing product base, using AI. But I do think we're going to see some changing the world companies that will come out with some big opportunities in some of the more niche verticals where there's some proprietary data that's available to train some of these models. Think financial services, think healthcare. I think those are going to be some really interesting areas to watch. Talking about that, taking the next leap, I'd love to hear quickly from both of you, Rick, you first. The IPO market is what we're waiting for to you know, thaw out and get back to some normality. When does that happen? I still think Q4. I, I know we get asked about this all the time, whether from our investors or from you, and I, think, I still think it's Q4. Of 2023? I, of 2023, <laughs> you're gonna see a couple things pop through, and whether they're fast growth AI companies which are taking advantage of, of some momentum, or whether they're the, you know, the best enterprise companies with the blue chip customer base, best of class metrics, but the best we're gonna see is Q4, as I think it's gonna be an incredibly uh, slow summer into the fall. How would you? address that. Yeah, I would agree. It's definitely not going to be before Q4. I think we'll probably see it extend a little bit into next year as well. Okay. It's great having you guys here uh, in person. Uh, the best. Low Tony, Rick Heisman. We'll see you soon. Thanks Thank for having you. us. All right. Coming up, one of Barron's top financial advisors, Treasury Partners, Rich Saperstein is here to break down the market action and his strategy. We'll find out how he's navigating this directionless market. We'll get his top ideas as well. Plus, we're celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage throughout the month of May, sharing stories of influential AAPI business leaders. Here is the co-founder of Mendocino Farms. I'm very proud to be Taiwanese American, um, but it's been hard growing up in America. I faced a lot of challenges with racism, sexism, people wanting to put me in that Asian stereotypical box but I've embraced these adversities because it's made me a stronger and more resilient person. We can be so much more than doctors, lawyers, and engineers, but we can also be creative artists, athletes, uh, CEOs, and entrepreneurs like myself. I want my kids and the kids of the next generation to understand that they belong in this country and that they're not just Asians living in America, but they're Americans living in America. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. We're back. The Dow remains lower as investors turn their attention to the debt ceiling in that meeting between congressional leaders and the president we just showed you at the White House. Tech remains a bright spot, and our next guest expects it to stay that way. Let's bring in Treasury partner CIO Rich Saperstein. He's here with me at Post 9. He's one of Barron's top-rated financial advisors, so we need your 
advice, especially right now. Welcome back. Thank you. Uh, are you still sitting on a pile of cash? Yes, we are. Why? Why are you, why are you still so negative in the market? Well, we're not exactly on cash. All the cash was moved into uh, bonds, as we spoke about last September. But if you look at the facts on the ground right now, you have um, M2 negative for six months. Money supply. Right. Consumer spending is down. Availability credit is tightening. Leading economic indicators that prospectively tell what's going on, mm -hmm. they're dropping. So we expect the economy to slow uh, in the second half of the year. I mean, it, it, it's been much more resilient than people have thought. I would assume you included. Mm -hmm. The consumer, even though retail sales were slowing, they're still pretty good. Employment is pretty good. Mm -hmm. Those are the two positives, but Home Depot will, the report this morning will clearly refute that. Yeah, but I mean, there were other factors going on in there, too. And even if we throw up Home Depot shares, they've come off the mat mm -hmm. of, of where they were. And there were some you know, other extraneous factors that, that came to play there, too. But if you look at the first quarter performance, uh, market's up 8 percent, but the equal weight is flat. So it's really been driven by big tech which is the largest component of the uh, S&P on a cap-weighted basis. Mm -hmm. So the tape really isn't trading too well. This has become the issue of the moment. The top-heavy market, right? The mega caps are pulling the weight of everybody else. So what? So what? Why is that such a big deal? Well, we're overweight big tech, so uh, that plus our other asset-allocated parts of the portfolio so we're okay with that. We don't have a problem with big tech pulling the market. No, but people cite that as one of the reasons to build the bearish case. Oh, breath is terrible. It's so narrow. So what? Why does that matter so much? No, we're building a, a cautious take, not because tech is leading the market, but rather because the fundamentals are deteriorating. We had 15 years of free money, uh, quantitative easing, as well as a $5 trillion fiscal push mm -hmm. that we're taking a, is a big lag to burn that off. So we're wringing out those excesses. Figure second half of the year is when we'll start seeing a slowdown. You think the Fed's done? Yeah. So they're not raising anymore? I don't think so, but keep in mind, there's a lot of conjecture about the uh, resolution of the debt ceiling. The debt ceiling will result in a trifecta of tightening. It'll supercharge QT. Here's how it works. Yellen's been burning down the Treasury General account, the TGA, in not, in not issuing treasuries. Powell's still doing QT, so the offset has been pretty constant if you take away what Powell did for the bank, banking crisis drama. So once the debt ceiling is resolved, which maybe we'll get it, okay, who knows, Yellen's going to have to rebuild her checking account. So it's estimated that she'll be issuing an extra $600 billion worth of treasuries in the second half of the year. That's a tightening. Combine that with QT and then add that to the banking drama that has resulted in bank willingness to lend decreasing. It's going to be some real tightening in the second half of the year. So your base case then must be recession? Slowing. Can't tell whether you define it as a recession or not. But, but I mean, if it's just slowing, the, hasn't the market priced in slowing? No. No, not It at hasn't all. priced in slow. No. Look, we did $53 in S&P earnings Q1. So the estimate for the full year is 220. We don't think it's happening. If you put 20, 18 and a half times earnings right now on 220 is where the market is now. If it goes to 210, it's 19 and a half times. If it goes to 200, it's 20 and a half times. Either way, where is the market going in an environment where rates are 500 basis points higher, 
from nothing. Yeah. They're 500 basis points from nothing. Do you think yields have peaked? Yeah, they have. That's why last fall we spoke about aggressively extending maturities. And that leads to another conclusion. A lot of people are buying, you know, two, three, four, five, six-month treasuries thinking they're going to get 5%. It's great. Well, we would avoid that and we would extend out much further. The economy slows, they're going to have huge reinvestment risk on those, you know, beautiful 5.1% three and six month treasuries. Mm-hmm. So you like the long end, like, like Gunlock, like 30 oh, yeah. Years. Well, we've been buying 10-year corporates. We've been buying long callable municipals. You know, the FDIC right now is auctioning off billions of dollars of municipals right now mm-hmm. every single week. You think the Fed cuts this year? No, not at all. What happens when they do? Is that bullish or not? It will be depending on where things are. So here's how I look at it. Um, And this is where the market, I don't think, got the memo. If the Fed cuts, that means that we're slowing dramatically or significantly, or there's a tail risk event, neither of which are positive for stocks. But see, people say that, and it may not be positive for that moment, but I have other people saying that cuts are always bullish. They are in the short run, but the reason for the cut is because the economy is slowing. in the long run? No, in the short run. Like the market, the fanfare of the markets will be, oh, the Fed's cutting, we're going to go up. But let's face the reality of stocks follow earnings. Slowing economy will result in lower earnings. Right? Go back 10 years. S&P did 100 bucks in earnings, sold it 13 to 14 times. Right now, the estimate is for 220 this year, and we're at 18 and a half times. So we've had multiple expansion in the last 10 years, and I don't think we're going to get 220, Scott. Does the wine you make taste better than your view of the market? Absolutely. All right. Vigna Andrico. All right. We'll leave it there. Rich Saperstein, thank you. <laughs> thank you. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Up next, we're tracking the biggest movers as we head into the close as well. Christina Partsinevelos is standing by with that. Christina. I hope you get some of that wine, Scott. What does streaming platform Hulu and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis have in common? I'll have that stock answer and obviously much more after this short break. We have about 15 minutes to go before the closing bell. Christina Partsinevelos is back with the stock she's watching. Christina? Well, let's start with the parent company of Elmer's Glue and Sharpie. New old brands is cutting its dividend by 70%, and shares actually could potentially hit a 14-year low at the end of today. Stock is down over 4%. Uh, the new dividend yield, though, is still above 3%. So that's higher than the consumer discretionary XLY ETF and one of the highest-yielding dividend stocks on the S&P 500. New wants to use the money towards getting risk off the balance sheet and towards internal supply chain consolidation. Consolidation. Did you guess the name? Shares of Disney are over 1.5, almost 2% lower right now after the CEO of Comcast, which is the parent of CNBC, said they will likely sell their 33% stake in Hulu to Disney at the beginning of next year. Comcast CEO saying that the final price for Hulu will likely be more than $27.5 billion, which was the valuation set back in 2019. Separately but related to Disney, the entertainment giant has asked a Florida court to dismiss a lawsuit by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis over special tax district rules. The, the saga, the battle between both continues. It does. Christina, thank you. That's Christina Partsinevelos. Last chance to weigh in on our Twitter question. We asked, are you thinking about increasing your exposure to AI stocks? You can head at CNBC Closing Bell on Twitter. The results after this break. So more breaking news. We're going to get back down to Eamon Javers in Washington around those debt ceiling talks. Eamon? 
Well, Scott, it's official now. We told you that the president was considering changing his schedule, and now we know that he is changing his schedule. This just in from a source familiar with the president's planning for his trip. President Biden has decided to return to the United States on Sunday, immediately following the completion of the G7, to ensure that Congress takes action by the deadline to avert default here. Obviously, uh, the president uh, aware that that puts him back in D.C. now for the last week and a half before that June 1st X date, where we think that the running room is going to run out here for the U.S. government in terms of its finances. So the president signaling to uh, Republicans and to the world that he's taking this negotiation very seriously and will be here in Washington for the conclusion of it. Uh, that decision just within the past couple of minutes, Scott. Yeah, it goes towards that sense of urgency we spoke about at the top of right. the program. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Jabbers in Washington. Let's get the results now of our Twitter question. We asked if you're thinking about increasing your own exposure to AI stocks, as some of the biggest investors in the world are doing. And the majority of you said no. Some 61% at that. Up next, shoppers pulling back at Home Depot, what those results are signaling as investors turn their attention now to Target and Walmart coming up later this week. That and more when we take you inside the market zone. We're now in the closing bell market zone. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli is here to break down the crucial moments of the trading day. Greg Mellick of Evercore with his reaction to Home Depot's earnings and outlook now for Target and Walmart this week. And Phil LeBeau ahead of Tesla, uh, the annual meeting this afternoon. We'll get to everybody in a minute. Mike Santoli, we're at session lows on the Dow. We're pacing for the sixth negative day out of the last seven. NASDAQ's gone a touch negative as well. What do you make of it? Yeah, it's very heavy. Uh, this market is, uh, for as flat as it's been and static as the indexes have behaved, it's not been in gear. And so we continue to see that. Um, you know, autos down a couple percent. There's definitely a slowdown taking hold type uh, type of a feel to things today. On the other hand, you know, industrial production better than expected, auto manufacturing ramping up, and, you know, that's goosing the second quarter GDP number. So it's kind of uh, this feeling of we're not really headed quickly to a resolution on the recession, no recession, or can the market stay ceiling. this way? Or debt right. ceiling. And I, I did enjoy uh, I was about to say, even before Rich Saperstein mentioned it, that all of a sudden a resolution to the debt ceiling is being spun as a negative by folks who have already been bearish because they're looking at the aggregates and saying, well, Treasury hasn't been able to issue any debt. And so, in effect, that's, that's you know, keeping more liquidity in the system. I mean, look, the aggregate math says that to me, that's not a reason to be uh, incrementally bearish as if we get a resolution on the debt ceiling. Positioning and attitudes continue to be almost the biggest in insulation against more downside because you're still seeing more evidence of people remaining cautious. Some people's version of cautious is owning a ton of FANG stocks. That's not purely defensive, uh, but it's behaving that way. So I still think that we're in this uh, just sort of confused and cautious state. Uh, and again, you can't tell me that the market's not reacting to slowdown because in the last month, the S&P has been flat. Autos down 10 percent, energy down 12 percent, banks down 7 percent. You know, we're, we're listening to what's going on. It just isn't reflected in the one big cap index. Yeah. So, Greg, I, I turn to you. Home Depot certainly, you know, raised some issues about a, a possible slowdown with the consumer. The CEO, Ted Decker, saying on the conference call today, quote, a newer dynamic now that we're really seeing again just this past quarter is a more cautious consumer given the broader macro concerns, including credit availability. So what's your takeaway from that alone? Well, from that alone, I think, I think you're seeing the reality of there's still a lot of wood to chop, particularly in those uh, bigger ticket consumer discretionary categories, like a lot of home improvement areas, 
where consumers are getting more cautious. Uh, and our view from our home improvement lead indicator has been the industry will run negative uh, all year uh, and it will certainly underperform overall retail sales just because uh, we're coming off such a strong market the last few years. And existing home turnover was down a lot last year. Uh, and now home prices are probably going to start to slip. Is this a warning shot for Target especially? I think it is for any uh, discretionary retailer that had a strong unit demand uh, through COVID and then with the stimulus checks of 21. Uh, And so that's why, you know, Target's not one of our top five and we have an inline rating on the stock uh, into their earnings tomorrow. What about Walmart then? Uh, Walmart, uh, we actually like. That's in our top five uh, and and we upgraded back in March. And the point there is we're starting to see real traffic momentum in the business. So one way that consumers can save money is go back to Walmart, where prices generally are better than peers and competition. uh, And they have a very good, strong assortment across many general merchandise categories. So we think discretionary products still likely to disappoint pretty much across retail. uh, But for certain retailers that have traffic momentum or trade down benefits like Walmart, we think it actually uh, could be a, a decent quarter and back half of the year. Greg, I appreciate it very much as we look ahead to those key earnings reports. Phil LeBeau looking ahead to that key meeting a little later this afternoon. Tesla, Elon Musk before his big sit down with our colleague David Faber. Yeah, and the annual meeting, Scott, is typically uh, one of those events where Tesla investors get all excited and we sometimes don't get a whole lot of clarity from Elon Musk in his comments. But there are three things that people will be focused on. One, what does he say about the profit margin outlook? They've intimated they could go down to zero as long as they have future revenue growth. I'm not sure he'll get into that much detail. The Gigafactory growth now making 5,000 vehicles a week at the Gigafactory in Austin, where the annual meeting will be holding, uh, be taking place. And then there's the next leg of growth. As you take a look at shares of Tesla over the last year, remember, Cybertruck production is scheduled to begin later this year. But what does he say about a lower-priced so-called Model 2, $25,000 vehicle. So those are the things, Scott, that people will be focused on. Curious if Elon Musk touches on any of those in great detail. What do you hope to hear from him in the interview that we're all excited about, obviously, with with David Faber, as I mentioned? It's going to be that CNBC special event at 6 o'clock Eastern time this evening. Well, I'm excited that it's not just going to be about Tesla. He's also going to be talking about Twitter, AI, SpaceX, David's going to touch on a whole range of topics. So that's what I'm most excited about. With regard to Tesla, I want to know what they're they're going to say about price cuts and profit margins. I want to see if there's any greater detail that David can get out of uh, Elon Musk in terms of how low are they willing to go. He does seem willing, Phil, and maybe more so than he has at at arguably any time, to sacrifice margins for demand. Yes, they believe that they have the hammer when it comes to volume. Look, they are the brand when it comes to electric vehicles, certainly in North America. And you can make the argument that they are one of the top couple of brands in China as well as in Europe. He wants to take advantage of that position. All right. Good stuff, Phil. Thank you. See what comes out of that meeting. And of course, from the interview again, six o'clock Eastern here on CNBC. Mike Santoli, two minute warning. I'm looking uh, utilities week, uh, energy week, industrials week. Materials Week, 
There's a lot of weakness around. There's yep. barely any green on the board, and it only comes from comm services and tech. Yeah, we have a, a situation where, as I said before, the, the day gets kicked off to reinforce the concerns about slowdown, the state of the consumer, uh, and therefore the cyclical sweep. On the other hand, yields are up. Yeah, I was right? going to say yields are so, up. So, and that, to me, was also because people were making a big fuss about how the retail sales gain was essentially a price effect. It was, it was inflation. I don't think the yield move is, is that significant necessarily in the in the grand scheme, but it does show you that we don't have, you know, any kind of signed and sealed assurance that the Fed is definitely done. They're mm-hmm. certainly not talking that way. No. I, look, everything points to we're, we're caught in between. Um, you know, I could also tell you that home builders are up again today, and we had this great home builder sentiment survey, and there are these pockets uh, of the economy that are not really lined up to have, you know, to, to drive further uh, further downside. So I, I think that's why it's uh, it's more of a puzzlement than it is people being desperately bearish right here. Everyone remembers 2011, not really for the details, but how it was a, a sheer panic on the debt ceiling and the downgrade, and it never felt smart to feed into that panic, even though it's hard to resist when it seems like these big kind of cataclysmic system failures might be in play. Yeah, Dow's down six of seven. Uh, and that's the way we're going to notch it today as we're off by more than 300 points as the bell starts to ring here at the New York Stock Exchange. So we'll keep our eyes on the White House. We're looking ahead to the Tesla meeting and the interview. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.